Our scripture reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, beginning with verse 9 through verse 14. Give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Father, would you open our eyes to see things that we will not see unless you do? Would you, by your word, shape our hearts and lives, bring us face to face with ourselves and with the face of Christ? It's for his glory for our hope that we look to you uh, through these words before us today. Meet us, we pray, in the strong name of Christ. Amen. As um, was mentioned earlier, we're in a series. Uh, There's a context for that series. When you open the book of Romans, you walk into a new world. At least it's a world that is new when it enters this world. And we find in this story, the pages from Genesis through Revelation, summarized and captured here in this one book, the fact that we have a new relationship with God. Maybe that's why you came today, just that. That wondering about your relationship with God, the gospel addresses you, meets you in that question. It is uh, his good and benevolent work to move toward us, to reestablish a relationship that is torn with strife, reconciliation, all things made new, and a new relationship with God at the, at the heart. But he goes on from there. It's not only a new relationship with God, it's a new relationship with one another. Once alienated, once estranged, now reconciled, and now family. And that's the title of this series that we're in. As we look at these particular verses in chapter 12, exploring together over these few weeks, what does it mean that we belong to one another because we belong to Christ? But it doesn't stop there. Because this work of the gospel in us and through us also begins to rearrange and redirect a relationship not only with one another, but what, with what the Bible calls our enemies. That's what we'll explore today in these words. You know, in, in hockey, it's a face-off. The puck is dropped, and, and depending on who's stronger or quicker, the puck flies and the game begins. The, the adversaries square off. In the Wild West, it was the OK Corral and who was the quicker on the draw. I've learned, though, that it's, it was rarely as sophisticated and planned as what we've seen in these Western movies. It was usually pretty dirty. 
But in the office and in the neighborhood, it's not who's stronger or quicker most of the time. <laughs> it's usually who's the louder or the more forceful with words and personalities. Adversaries square off, and, and in the neighborhood, in the school, and in the, in, the, in the office room, it's more often dismissive words or an icy stare or a cold shoulder. You'll recognize that. There may be faces that even come to mind as we walk down this particular road together. Dismissive words, icy stares, cold shoulders. Because for a variety of reasons, there are people in your life that have it in for you. There's a lot of reasons that that might be the case. We'll get to that in a moment. But, <clears throat> but there are people that have it in for you, and it's increasingly an issue for the church in this culture. To seek to live faithfully in this culture may likely result in dismissive words, icy stares, cold shoulders, or maybe a loud argument. Because, you see, the gospel calls us to not only stand in truth, but to stand up for that truth. And the way we do, and the frequency with which we do so and choose to do so, has ramifications and implications. You see, when you step into the public square, it really is impossible to leave your personal convictions about ultimate values behind and the scriptures in this passage we're going to look at today don't require that of you. It, we're not required to leave it behind. But we are called to something grand, exposing, difficult, and Christ-honoring. The gospel leaves no room, make no mistake, for a vindictive squaring off against our adversaries. Though while we champion the truth, our love is not limited to those who are like us or who are with us or who are related to us now by faith. But it's extended to those who have it in for us. It's a love with a particular Sound and face. The sound of good words. And the face of goodwill. We're going to go at it in a couple of different directions, just asking of this passage, who are our enemies? How are we to treat them? And how can we do so? Uh, who are our enemies? It's... It's a word, uh, when you use the, look at the word that Paul uses here, uh, he talks about those who persecute you. That's the language that he chose here. But he echoes, and you know that he knows that he's echoing the teaching of Jesus, who in the Gospels and Matthew and Luke talked about those who persecute you, and he also called them your enemies, those who hate you, those who curse you. Those are parallel terms, not different categories. So as you think about who are our enemies, 
It is those who persecute, who hate, who curse. Uh, interestingly, we just, if you were here last week, we talked about pursuing hospitality. Uh, that is uh, something that we are to seek. That's the way it's translated. But the word is pursue. And it's the same word that Paul uses in this verse to talk about those who pursue you. <laughs> so while we're pursuing hospitality, there are people that are pursuing you. That's who we're talking about. Those who have it in for you. And implied in the midst of that is perhaps some unjust or malicious treatment. You may be treated unjustly. You may be treated with malice. Some in this room have really never experienced that in full, maybe only in parts. But throughout the world, there are many who have continuously experienced repressive laws, torture, discrimination, and there are many people this morning who fear for their lives because they love Christ and have taken that stand. So keep that in mind, that Paul is talking to them as well as you, and the remedy and the way forward is the same. According to David Alton, who's a, who was a member of parliament for 18 years and still serves, he campaigns on religious freedom. He said, some assessments... Some assessments claim that as many as 200 million Christians in over 60 countries around the world face some degree of restriction, discrimination, or outright persecution. That's about, by his estimates, 1 in 10 of the 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Now, that's his work. But whatever the real figures are, the scale is enormous. And by God's providence, most of us will never face all of that, or so it seems. David had enemies. The Philistines were just built-in enemies, you know, to the nation of, of Israel, the people of Israel. He had, there were historical foes, and they weren't the only ones, as you have read. He had Saul. Saul was after him, and his own son, Absalom, was after him. Listen to how... David describes his enemies and his posture toward them from Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary from my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me, without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who would attack me with lies. David knew enemies. So did Paul. The passage that we read, I'll reread parts of it. Five times, this is 2 Corinthians 11, a little bit later in that book. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I was in danger from my own people, from danger from Gentiles, and danger from false brothers. To belong to the truth, to belong to this story of redemption, in the midst of a world that is broken, inevitably results in some fundamental rejection you see, we're bound to face hospitality from the world since we have turned to God in a world that has fundamentally rejected him. 
So who is it for you? I mean, who is it? Who are those, and as Nate mentioned earlier, either organized or personal, that are mounted as adversaries allayed against you? It's probably unlike, no one like Mutsushiro Watanabe, the bird, who came to life on the screen in the story of Louis Zamperini, the POW in Japan in World War II, uh, whose story is unfolded in the book and the film Unbroken. Louis was captured by the gospel after he was captured by his enemies. Captured so much that he made every effort to seek out and to find his persecutor and ultimately was unable to see that relationship restored the way that he had envisioned. So it's not like that for you, but who is it? There could be a number of reasons that someone may dislike you or have it in for you. <laughs> and, and you don't get away with personality clashes. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about we're not talking about someone who has something against you for some way that you have wronged them either. And we all need to examine our own hearts about have we wronged others in some way that has led to this kind of animosity or adversarial relationship. See, what we're talking about here, the enemies that we are talking about are those that are provoked but not by my poor behavior, but my doing well, standing for truth. That's what we're talking about here. Provoked by well-being on your part. That's the, the reason for the provocation. Provoked by the well-being. Where your behavior, your attitudes, or your words, or your choices challenge theirs. And it's not the manner in which you live your life or the words that you use. It is the trajectory of your life that challenges their, their sacred values, their private priorities. But your well-being provokes something in them. But it's also expressed, and it's not just a grudge. It's those that are provoked to animosity by those who are God's witnesses to truth and godliness, and we're talking about those who act out that provocation in ways that are harmful or hurtful to you. Those are your enemies. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul zeroes in on. And then he tells us, okay, you got them in mind. Now we'll think about how are we to treat them. You know, the unreasonableness of some of that tension uh, can lead you and me to, to uh, some posture say, well, I'm really not going to let them get away with that. And I'm going to, and it builds and swells into some sort of resentment or thoughts of vindictive retaliation. It's like the father that teaches his son to fight so that he can defend himself on the playground. You're not going to get away with that. And while we don't always go that far by pulling uh, out to take aim and take revenge, 
There are ways that we subtly do that. And that's what we're talking about here. And Paul's urging us that what we're to do, uh, there's a negative and a positive. Uh, Negatively, we are not to harm or retaliate. Do not curse them is the language he used. Those are words. To curse is a word. It's, it's to slander. It's a, it starts with a grudge, and it grows into bitterness, and it leads to slander. There are words that, that are not available to us in that situation. We are not to curse. We are not to strike back. And indeed, so word or deed, we're not to strike back. And as, as Nate mentioned earlier, it can't actually be the way we avoid those people. A passive-aggressive kind of behavior. That's off the tables. We're not to curse or strike back or avoid or, or be passive-aggressive in the way we relate to those that would harm us. It doesn't just say don't retaliate, though. You might use your willpower to do that. I've done that, and I bet you have too. <laughs> Resorting to willpower in order to not retaliate. You, you, you might have all kinds of hateful and resentful and vengeful and prudential motives for not striking back, but the point is not only behavior. He's moving to another level. You see, the point is your heart. That's really what's at stake here. To not curse, but to what? But to bless. And there's a shift of weight from thoughts and attempts at retaliation to shifting over to think about, instead of that, how do I then treat this one? We are to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He says it twice. So the positive part is we're not to merely endure bad treatment, but there's a kindly disposition expressed in this word blessing. Bless those who persecute you. The word is a word that we kind of reserve for church, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, where else do you hear that word as often as you hear it in these circles? But it is a word that belongs to us. We are to bless. We are to, in this case, think of it as invoking God's blessing. That's the handle on this. To bless someone else is to invoke or to call on, to call out, to call upon God's blessing for this person. God, you're going to have to do in his or her or their lives what I can't do. Would you bless them. I would have to say I might be able to count on one finger the number of times I have said that kind of prayer. But that is where the Apostle Paul takes us to invoke God's blessing, uh, not only in word, and this is where the story turns, but indeed. We are to seek their good. We are to look for ways to turn the tables, so to speak, on on their attitudes and their posture. Paul certainly, as I mentioned, knew that he was echoing Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching explodes our categories on this, okay? You'll hear these words are familiar to you from Luke and Matthew. But love your enemies and do good and lend 
expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That is, that is God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, citing Leviticus 19. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You see, Jesus is calling us into another way of living. Then he expands it in Luke, Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. John Piper says, prayer is the expression of God, the expression to God of what you long for. So when we pray for our enemies, it is expressing to God what we long for them. And it is not justice. It's not vindictive. God says, that belongs to me. I got that. They won't get away. But your response is to be the face of Christ with words of grace, with words of life, with words of rebuke, but done so in such a way that it has the aroma of Christ. So blessing someone, Piper says, is not just the way you treat him. It includes the longings you have for someone. And that's a challenge for us. But we're, we're simply trying to survive. <laughs> we're simply trying to avoid. We're simply trying to, to get out of this into something better. And, and the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself calls us into something deeper and more profound than that. To long, for, to long for something for our enemies. And it's not just relief from you, but it's blessing to them. That's the challenge. I, I, I'm helped by these words by Dan Allender too. He said, doing good is accomplished by words and deeds, by praying and blessing, by turning and giving. You hear Jesus' words there? By praying and blessing, by turning and giving. These verbs, he says, do not describe all that is in the process of doing good, but they are way markers that point us toward what it means to do what he calls love boldly. Those are the signposts along the road. They show you the way to, <clears throat> to pray, to give, to turn in word and in deed. To bless, he says, is to give words of life that nourish the soul and deepen its desire for truth. Words offer grace 
to our enemy and ask God the Father for that grace that fits them. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to think through who is my enemy and what is it that is going on in their life. What is it that they are so bent on? And what, is it, what are the words that come from you? So I can't tell you today what those words are. They're too individualized. For us to think through our enemies, who they are, what's driving them, what is the real issue, and then to move word toward them with words and deeds. Those words, you're going to have to spend some time on your knees thinking and asking God to show you what it is that that person needs to hear. What is the aspect of the truth? What, what is it about their lives that, that you can address with words of truth and helping them to see that the longing of their hearts that has led them to retaliation and vengeful cold shoulders toward you has a source. You see, something is driving all of that. And it's not your personality. It is something made, they're made in the image of God, made for a life that they have not found. Looking for it in this world or maybe in your acquiescence and your agreement or your bending over to their way of thinking and living. And that may not be an option if we're going to stand for truth. But there is something about truth and the one who is truth and the one who is at work in you that gets you off the bench and into the arena to engage, to interact with, to pray for, to speak words of grace and blessing, turning the other cheek and giving him your tunic as well. Again, uh, Allender says, um, few commands are as difficult to understand, <laughs> but here are some handles. This is the best I can do, and it's the best I've run across in these weeks preparing for today. The sacrifice we offer should expose the heart of the one doing harm. Whatever it is that you do, can it expose the heart of the one who is doing harm? The sacrifice that we are to make exposes hatred and rage and invites the enemy to wrestle with his sin. Involuntary turning the cheek removes the pleasure or the intended effect of the first blow. <laughs> there's something, there's some help there as you think about what does it mean to move toward my enemy, to expose their heart, to invite them to wrestle, and to remove the pleasure from them of whatever they have intended by their vengeful behavior. So that's what we're to do. How in the world do we do that? It starts with this. It's to watch for traces in your own heart of self-righteous pride. 
It starts there. It's to examine your own heart and life. Is there something in me as I, as I tend to want to retaliate and get back? Is there something of a self-righteous pride that's driving that? Be suspicious. It might very well be there. But you see, even if we can refrain from retaliatory, retaliate, retaliation, how do we hold back vindictive thoughts? It calls for what Paul says in Romans 12 earlier, this renewed mind. If anything calls for a renewed mind, it's this. I mean, this doesn't come to us, does it? This feels like it's coming from another world. And it is. It's breaking into this world and say, there is a way to live in this world, Christian follower of Christ that calls for renewed mind. Don't forget that Romans chapter 12 begins with these words, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's where this story begins. That what God has done for us is for us. And it is in us. And it is transforming. And it is propelling us into things like these we're talking about. Just in conclusion, here's how I would suggest. Here's how. Look upward. Consider that God sees and he knows. And to take refuge in the one who said, vengeance is mine. I got this, he says. Look up to him. That's what Paul did. I'm sorry, David did in the Psalms. Listen to these Psalms. Grant me your grace or be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from humiliation caused by those who harm me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. Psalm 25. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent, what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Look upward and know that God has this and he has you. He is your refuge. And that's to you living this out in Williamson, Davidson, Murray counties. But it's also for the person tucked away in parts of the world that do not know the light of the gospel. That God is your refuge. Take refuge in him. Look upward. God will sometimes rescue. He will sometimes remove the enemy. We see examples of that. But as we reminded earlier, you may be persecuted, but you are not forsaken. He will sometimes rescue, but he will always turn his face to you and be gracious to you. So look upward. Second, look deeper at your enemy. See that your enemy, too, is made in the image of God, damaged but dignified. There is something of the, the, the face of God, the, the life of God, the image of God that is tarnished and damaged and buried underneath the brokenness of that life. But recognize that the one who may have it in for you, like you, was made in the image of God. See James 3, 9 on that one. Look upward, look deeper, 
Look inward. Consider we were enemies. In Romans 5, we read it was while we were enemies that we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. But we too were enemies. And we know what it's like to be loved and restored by one who comes toward us. Look upward, look deeper, look inward. Look Christward in two ways. Remember, Jesus took the curse that was yours. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became that curse. And in becoming that curse, he breaks the power of sin and retaliation. But in a second way, look Christward, that the Christ that faith beholds and embraces blessed those who cursed him. As he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look upward, look deeper at your enemy made in the image of God. Look inward, recognizing that we too were once enemies, and Christ took that upon himself. And when those truths begin to seep into the DNA of your life, this challenging challenge to love our enemies becomes possible. When, the, when we begin to see the story from, from the, the, the point of view of the cross and God's work and, and establishing his word and work in this world, you that become salt and light and vessels in his hands to love even enemies. And so we pray, Lord, open their eyes. Give them faith as you opened mine and gave me hope. In the meantime, would you stop their hand turning <clears throat> from their conceived ways of making life work in repentance to you. Would you grant them repentance? But as we pray, we also move. We move toward them with words of life and deeds of love. And as we do so, we may very well expose in their hearts the need that the gospel exposed in our hearts for redeemer, for forgiveness, for life that cannot be found in this world, but is made available to you in this world because love has broken in to this world. A world that was at odds, a world, an entire world that was enemies of God. And God breaks in. And when you break through the barrier that your neighbor has erected, verbal, isolation, maybe even worse. But when you break through, it's the gospel that does so. It's the one who loved you and gave himself for you that meets you where you are and shows us 
and enables us to love and bless and to move toward those who have it in for us. And God will redeem that. God will meet you there. He will show himself strong as you show yourself weak. And we boast in our weakness that the power of Christ may be made manifest. Pray with me. Father, would you do such a work in us that we would begin to see those who stand opposed to us in different eyes. To see them as those made in the very image of God who've lost their way. Would you give us courage and faith and a poise that enables us to love those who have it in for us, knowing that you are at work building your kingdom in this world. Protect us and give us a faithful courage bathed in love that the words of our, our lips, the tenor of our lives would be shaped and formed by the blood of cross of Christ who gave himself for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.